0: Welcome back to episode number 235 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and injuries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are covering fire and explosion safety for direct heated belt dryers. And this is based off a project that was called Safer Operation of Directed Heated Belt Dryers, completed by Woodpell Association of Canada, BC4 Safety Council, OBEX Risk, and BBRG, which is the Biomass and Bioenergy Research Group at the University of British Columbia. So in this episode, we're going to talk about why does this project matter? What did it look like? Why did the project come about and how did it get run? What were the major findings of the work? And some key takeaways for you if you're working in pelding operations or other types of facilities that might be using direct or even indirect heated belt dryers. There's a lot of really important takeaways here for you in this project and that we'll be covering in this podcast episode. I'll have a number of links in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 235. That's 235 for this episode. We'll have links to the project report, the symposium summary, and some fact sheets that were created after this project with summary notes. And these summary notes are meant to be used for site owners and operators to summarize with their health and safety team, summarize with their maintenance and operations team, pin up on safety boards, and be able to use to distribute the findings from this project in an effective manner than just handing out that report. So there's a couple of nice fact sheets there as well. We'll have links to all that in the show notes again at dustsafetyscience.com 235 for this episode. So why does this project matter? And, and where did the kind of belt dryer thing even come from? And there's two real shifts that happened in Canadian wood pelting industries that drove this requirement. So the first shift is from a really controlled feedstock that was being used in these operations. And this was usually from a connected sawmill, say where planar shavings and dried residue were relatively free of contaminants being passed along to the pelting side and then used to create pellets. So you'd have this relatively contaminant free, relatively homogeneous material coming in to the dryer system, which would pre-dry it before it goes to the pelting side. And there would not be as many issues. However, we had a shift more recently over the last number of years to a feedstock that had much larger variations. This would be from multiple external sources, not necessarily connected sawmills, but being trucked in, trained in from elsewhere. This could include bush grind, hog fiber, um, lots of contaminants like metals and screws and batteries and man-made objects and lighters and more. And we'll talk a bit about those in this episode. And a move to having more of this various different types of feedstock being included and being processed really caused issues in the drying process and can cause issues in the pelleting process as well. So that's sort of shift number one, away from a very controlled feedstock in this industry to a feedstock that has a lot more variation. Then the second shift is from the use of rotary drum dryers that was commonly used in pellet mills. But the newest pellet plants, particularly in British Columbia, had been using belt dryers to potentially reduce emissions and reduce fire incidents as well. I'm going to read this from the report itself. It says, as direct heated belt dryers have become more common, the pellet industry has experienced several safety incidents over the past few years. The increase of fire incidents in direct heated belt dryers and incidents associated with the dryers prompted the Wood Pellet Association of Canada to organize a belt dryer safety symposium in collaboration with BC Forest Safety Council and media partner, Canadian Biomass Magazine. So that's sort of the, the two shifts that happened that caused the emphasis on looking at these belt dryer systems, along with a number of fire incidents and, and even some explosion incidents that happened in these type of systems that caused an emphasis to be put on them. So my thought here was sharing this on the podcast is one, if you're in you know Canadian wood pelleting industries, it's probably important to know. If you're in pelting industries outside of Canada, a lot of this is going to apply to you as well. A lot of these lessons learned. If you're using belt dryers for anything else, there's going to be a lot of key takeaways here. So I'm just hoping that's able to share the results more broadly of this excellent project with the community and hopefully facilitate some change out there. If you have any questions about the product materials, you can email myself, chris at dustsavyscience.com. You can go to the project partners websites, Pell Association of Canada or BC4 Safety Council, and get more information or ask them more questions about this project as well and understand how it applies to your, your operations. So, what did the actual project look like? So, I'm going to run through the process a bit. There's a belt dryer symposium that I already mentioned in November 2020, actually, November 2020. Um, this was a virtual conference I was actually able to attend myself. And this was put on by Canadian Wood Pell Association, BC Forest Safety Council, and Canadian Biomass Magazine. I mentioned that before but I had a number of people in attendance. So I had the pellet mill owners and operators themselves and various industry groups that the belt dryer manufacturers, fire and explosion safety experts, WorkSafe BC, other industry and safety groups as well were in attendance, all talking about what was going on with these belt dryers and sharing very openly some of the challenges. And so the, that was a really key point here. That this event was that they were openly sharing the fires and explosion issues that they had had, uh, talking about why they thought they happened, what open things they weren't, Sure, you know what the causes might have been, what their open investigation status was like. It was a very, very well-organized event, very open and candid sharing of feedback. And it's very productive because again, it had the dryer manufacturers there in attendance that could also answer questions about these systems. They're really opening up and sharing things like challenges they were having with different feedstocks, what equipment they're using to improve the contamination that's getting into the dryer systems, what problems they're having with that. And it really leaned into this model that you hear quite a bit in British Columbia from these groups, which is we don't compete on safety. It's really excellent to see that. So one of the things that came out of this symposium was an action item to create a belt dryer working group. This belt dryer working group was composed of 25 members with representatives from the Wood pellet Association of Canada, BC4 Safety Council, two dryer manufacturers, pellet producers, safety equipment suppliers, consultants, academics and technology providers. And so this working group was formed and then eventually broke into four subgroups to cover infeed, product quality and contamination control, dryer operations, safety systems and controls, and procedures and maintenance practices. And so those four subgroups then went away, worked on their projects, and brought it all together in the end, which was the emphasis or starting process to create this product report that I'm going to be summarizing in the episode here today. I do want to just pause again to say thank you to the groups that contributed to this project, BC4 Safety Council, OBEX Risk, um, Kaylee Rainer-Brown there, the Biomass and Bioenergy Research Group at UBC, and their media partners at Canadian Biomag magazine. We've had many of these individuals on the podcast before and shared the excellent work that the group is doing out there in British Columbia. So what were the major findings from this project? And they're really broken into three categories, and I'll go through each of them individually. But in summary... The, the first finding was controlling the inputs feedstock to the dryer is extremely important. Finding number two was that it was recommended to use indirect instead of direct heated dryer systems. And we'll talk about that quite a bit here in a moment. Uh, third finding was engineering safety controls and technology are likely still needed to address the residual risk. Even if you're controlling the input feedstock and certainly in the case of direct fire or direct heated dryers, but also in indirect heat dryers as well. And we'll talk about that a bit. So finding number one, controlling the input feedstock to the dryer is extremely important. So in terms of the process for these dryer systems, generally biomass arrives to the site. It's either stored in piles, could be open or closed storage. There's some sort of separation process. And we'll talk about this more in a moment. Very often an an infeed hammer mill or other size reduction equipment is used to improve efficiency in the dryer. Uh, this would then go into a bin with an infeed screw conveyor which gets fed into the dryer you do your heating process and then after that it would go through usually more size reduction and then to the pelting process as well the scope of this project ended once the material left the dryer so it's really from the in infeed collection separation process any size reduction going through into the dryer system as well and a deep look into how this material is behaving inside the dryer in terms of controlling the input feedstock there were a number of samples that were collected from several plants and sent off to the University of British Columbia for their group there, the BR, BBRG, I think is their acronym. Yes, BBRG, to analyze these samples. And there's a bunch of really nice images of these in Appendix A in the report. they are broken broadly into a couple different groups. It could be sawdust or planar shavings. And this type of input material is generally pretty homogenized, pretty consistent, not a lot of contamination. There was hog grind. So this is the material that's left over after debarking and scalping of oversized materials, say in a sawmill infeed. So it's a high content of bark, a high content of soil, could have many other contaminants in this hog grind material. There's bush grind. So this is forest residue that is chipped and in the logging area. It can have a high fraction of oversized materials, branches, bark pieces, chips. Um, could be from forestry operations directly or even response to wildfires. And this obviously is more important over the last number of years with a lot of wildfires in British Columbia. This is generally called fire kill bush grind. There's other materials like wood chips in general from lumber and logging operations, mixed pile materials. And then they have a nice picture of some example contaminants found in the samples that they sent off to University of British Columbia. This included, you know rocks, screws, batteries, lighters, aluminum foil, sandpaper. Um, Lots of different contaminants that generally come in this infeed material. And the whole purpose the whole point is that needs to be taken out prior to size reduction and prior to getting into the dryer as well, because that's where they can cause fire issues in there. The report itself categorizes a number of different infeed controls. The optimum combination of these controls is going to depend on what you're receiving, what type of dryer you have, how it's running, but it could include scalpers, density separators, Rock drops, vibration screens, magnets, visual inspection. So these work in different ways, right? Scalpers, grizzly rolls, and disc screens generally remove large, oversized materials. Density separators would be used to remove heavy materials. Rock drops and vibration vibration schemes again screens again separate based on size. The magnets are there to remove any ferrous metal materials, and in visual inspection screening is generally done sort of on the infeed infeed storage side where you're able to um, bulk start to remove some of those larger pieces of material. And so in here, there was you know a discussion about each of the different options. Again, they don't say this is the ideal option for your site because it's really going to depend. But they do have a call for action here for review of other industries to see if there's any equipment that could be adopted for this type of operation to in situ or in flow assess contaminations and even remove them while the material is flowing over and there was sort of a call in this project or recommendation to look at those type of options, see if anything can be adopted from other industries. So that's the first finding, really looking at the control of the input feedstock as being really important. Finding number two is the recommended to use indirect heated dryers instead of direct heated dryers. So an indirect heated dryer from my understanding would be one that's heating say a, a heating material, a heating fluid rather, some oil or something like that, that's doing the heating in the dryer and then the the dryer system is, is heating the oil where direct is being directly heated by the burner itself. And so the challenge here is that the sparks that are created in the burner, in the burner chamber, get into the dryer and this can cause a fire or explosion incident in that dryer. Basically you inherently have ignition sources that can come into that system with direct heated dryers. There are several recommendations. Use of passive spark capturing and elimination technology. Things like grates, changing flow directions, zigzagging patterns, things that can be added to try to reduce the heat of a spark, to try to cool the spark before it makes it into the dryer. Increasing the length of the burner O-feed channel. Installing dryer dilute systems. Belt alignment control and avoiding plugging in the screws so you don't have the material plug and then you have a heat source that's coming in there. Those are all things that were talked about in this section of the report on the recommendation to use indirect instead of direct heated dryers. So then moving into finding number three, this is really around engineered safety controls. And the thought process here is that if you have a direct heated dryer, then you're always going to have inherent ignition sources. But even if you have indirect heated belt dryer, you're going to need to also account for the possibility of ignition sources. There's a real chance of you know, smoldering masses being carried into the dryer from the infeed system, from the hammer mills that are used upstream. There's a chance of smoldering or smoking starting in the dryer. There's isolation needed. You know, if you have a fire and explosion event from upstream or downstream, that can propagate into the dryer. Varying compositions of material can cause smoldering, those sorts of things as well. These were all discussed in a bow tie analysis that was complete on these hazards. This is above the scope of, or beyond the scope of this podcast episode, but is referenced in the report. And we did talk a bit about this way back in episode 184 of the podcast with Kaylee Rainer-Brown, which talked about bow tie analysis and inherently safer design in Canadian wood pellet mills. I don't think we covered this bow tie specifically, but you can get some background there. And if you look at the report, you can get the information on the bow tie analysis that was done for this project as well. So those are the three main findings. One is control of the infeed is really important. Two is the recommendation to use a indirect instead of direct heat dryer if possible. And number three is even in the case of direct or indirect dryers, heated dryers, you also need engineering safety controls and technologies to address the residual risk. There's a number of other comments and considerations that were mentioned in the report that I want to bring up here. I picked out five of them. The first is that housekeeping is required to remove dust in the surrounding areas. These dryer systems on their own, right? Well, I guess I forgot to mention one source of ignition. Um, they're dryers, so you're meant to heat the material. So that's you know inherently in, in this type of system. But they may be prone to having a fire. So you really want to have housekeeping really well done in connected equipment and surrounding areas as well. Consideration number two is to review your active engineered systems, such as spark detection, infrared, temperature monitoring. Um, these need to be really designed in a thoughtful way with your dryer system. I remember during the symposium, there's this really great video, running right, into a temperature probe's in here in a second, but there was a temperature probe, a fire started on the dryer and there's a video of it inside the dryer because I had closed circuit camera inside the dryer. And he saw the smoldering mass go and just goes underneath the temperature probe. And the challenge there was one of two things. Either the temperature probe wasn't sensitive enough in a time case or two, the airflow through that dryer was top to bottom. So it was driving air from top down through the bottom of the dryer in that case all the heat's being directed away from this temperature probe so these engineered systems you really need to have them designed in the correct way with considerations of air flows in the dryer and other things so that an incident gets detected when it occurs the third consideration was maintenance visual inspection of the burner chambers and heat shields was recommended to be done daily during commissioning and in the first weeks of operation and then weekly during the first months of operation with these type of dryers just to ensure that everything's working correctly. After that, a frequency of inspection can be identified for that specific dryer. Also need to consider cleaning and maintenance of the belts in the dryer. These materials, if the belts have holes in them, material can get through and fall into the dryer and cause fire as well. So the maintenance of the belt itself is a really critical area. Consideration number four, and this one was brought up by the manufacturers themselves. Actually, the last two considerations were both brought up by the manufacturers. The first one is that the temperature probes and other devices, other sensors that come with the dryers are not safety devices. Don't use them that way. Basically, was the recommendation from them. The temperature probes themselves operate on a timeline of three or five or 10 seconds as their sampling frequency. Uh, that's just not fast enough to react to a fire and certainly not to a deflagration event. So these type of probes and sensors that come with the dryer are not meant to augment the safety system. You need to have a safe system installed on top of that. And the last consideration was that the risk assessments that are completed by the dryer manufacturers assume no contamination in the impede, uh, which was rarely the case in the field. There was lots of contamination. That was the major finding from this project was how to address contamination issues. So if you're talking to dryer manufacturers and providers, you really want to understand their risk assessments, but also where their risk assessments match up or maybe even be deficient in terms of what's being used at your site and then what additional safety controls are needed in, on, on top of that. So that's it for this project summary, looking at fire and explosion safety for direct heated belt dryers. In the episode, we covered why this is important. We talked about the two shifts, one away from having you know fixed in feed that's coming from uh, attached lumber mill or something like that where you have really nice wood chips and sawdust that's going into your dryer and pelleting system through to a system where you have a lot more external materials and input being provided that have a lot more varying composition have a lot more contaminants that need to be dealt with as well we talked about the symposium the belt dryer symposium back in november 2020 which led to the formation of this working group which led to the sub working groups and created this project in general and then we talked through the findings from this project controlling the input feedstock is very important recommend stations to use indirect instead of direct fired dryers and the fact that engineering safety controls are likely still needed to address residual risks in these type of systems they are dryers they are going to be heating material so there's a high chance of having smoldering transportation of previously combusted masses into the dryer system, that sort of thing as well. So this all needs to be considered. And last, we talked about a number of considerations. housekeeping, use of active systems and design them correctly. Maintenance, equipment supplied by the dryer companies should not be used for the safety systems and the risk assessments by these companies are generally not considering contaminants that are coming in the feed, which very well likely are coming in through your infeed. Even if you have the scalpers and the screeners and the magnets at the front end, you're still going to have some percentage of contaminants get through that system. You want to make sure the risk assessment identifies that as well. Last thing I'll close off is that there's a couple really good fact sheets created after this project. These are things that companies can take and show to the health and safety teams, their OSH teams, can post on the walls on their safety boards to communicate findings with their workers and maintenance staff. I won't include a link to these in the show notes as well. Um, I'd highly recommend going getting those, downloading them a very nice, one-page summaries of the main findings here. The key takeaways that the project team wanted to communicate out to the industry as well. So that's it for this week's episode. As always, I want to say thank you for Woodpell Association of Canada, BC4 Safety Group, the Biomass and Bioenergy Research Group at UBC, OBEX Risk, Canadian Biomass, for their Biomass Magazine, for their efforts in this project. And I also want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you have a safe, productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing to handling combustible dust, being safer with the work you do out there every day. Keep it up.